Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. I am your host, Inez Franklin. My hope for you today is that we discover faith beyond the boundaries. Uncharted is intended to be a safe place for you to listen, learn, and challenge yourself along your journey of faith. May grace and peace be with you today. Welcome to the show. friends. Thank you so much for joining the Uncharted Podcast with Ines Franklin. I have such a treat for you today. We have an amazing team that works with me. I want you to know I don't do this alone. I do this with a great team of people who are passionate about our mission, which is to help people who are going through a crisis of faith find a more beautiful faith on the other side, past those boundaries, past those hurdles and challenges that we face often our journey. And today I want you to meet, uh, you've met Andy before, we've had great conversation with him, but today I want you to meet Kaylee, who is my daughter, she is our content director, and Andy, Kaylee, and I are going to have a conversation about the journey of faith, the great mystery that it is, why it is that we get hung up, not once, but multiple times on that journey of faith, and yeah. Kind of like, what does that look like for us, and why are we passionate about this? So thank you for joining us uh, on this podcast. And Andy, Kaylee, thank you for being on the podcast today. Hi, so glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Again. Hi, again. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, guys, what we want to start with, because this is Kaylee's first time on the podcast with us, is to um, hear her story, her faith journey. Uh, I know you've heard a little bit of Andy's. We're going to have Andy do the same, too. We want to hear yours. Um, and then we're going to talk about this idea of the journey of faith. So Kaylee, tell us a little bit about your journey of faith. Yeah. So um, I actually was raised Catholic and uh, came into non-denominational Christianity when I was in high school or junior high, actually. And... Um, it all started great. I loved doing worship. I loved being a part of the community atmosphere. But quickly I started having questions like, you know, Jonah and Noah's Ark and what's the reality of the word and how does that look in life? And I didn't have anyone to run those questions up against. Um, and so real quickly, my faith hit a wall. And I I think I just also got real comfortable in um, walking into high school and normal high school things. And so I kind of fell away. I always believed in Jesus, but really walking that out was probably a very different experience than what I do today. So I went through my life and really enjoyed that process. And um, when I got into college, I went on a mission trip to Africa, and that radically changed my faith. I actually heard from God for the first time um, when he downloaded a name on me, and so I heard what that name was, and that started my journey of faith again, and uh, was able to now ask questions. At this point, you were um, in Bible school, if I remember correctly, so I could ask you the hard questions and uh, learn a lot about what I was going through and... Um, go through that hard stuff. And I, I was involved in a great church at my in San Diego. And so I felt really connected. Um, and then when I moved home and I had just graduated from college, I got diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases. And I had to grapple with the concept of suffering um, and why I wasn't healed or why I was sick at all. Um, at a young age. At a young age. And, yes. and it started with two uh, pretty severe autoimmune diseases that took a lot of time and effort and medication and nothing was really working to make them better. My pain was getting worse, uh, but went from two to five that I got diagnosed with over five years. And 
um, really walking out, you know, I would go for prayer and ask for healing. I would be anointed with oil, doing all the things that I was called to do. Um, and that prayer was not only not answered, it was answered by God by him saying, no, not yet. And that that was another wall. It was like, wait a minute, why don't I get to be healed? What does that mean? Um, and so I spent a while, I think now looking back, I can see that I spent a while just thinking, okay, well then it's not for me. So I stopped praying and I stopped asking and I still walked my journey of faith, but there was a, maybe a seed of doubt or a belief that I wasn't going to get healed in that. Um, and actually just very recently I was in a, at a retreat, um, in July and I had some girlfriends of mine pray over me and, um, their faith that I could be healed was a reminder of how small my faith had to be in order for that, right? It didn't even have to be that big. It could be as small as a mustard seed and, and that would be capable of it. Um, I actually walked away from that prayer being healed and, uh, a reminder of like, oh yeah, okay, that's what that faith journey can look like, is it can look like the waves and the valleys and the peaks and all the things in between. It doesn't have to be this linear journey. Um, it was okay to ask questions. It was okay to struggle. It was okay to feel that silence or that no. Um, it was painful. <laughs> it was painful, but um, on the other side of that, my faith has grown so much, even just from July, um, because I have a God who, who walked me through the suffering and the pain, but now is with me in the healing of it too. That's right. And did, you know, did ultimately say yes and did ultimately heal me of these chronic illnesses, which has just been amazing. Awesome. So. Awesome. You know, I, I kind of have an advantage because you're my daughter. Yes, that's true. And I remember, I remember when you were uh, going through those big questions in high school and you said something to me so profoundly that I was, I had so much respect for you because you said, mom, I'm not sure I believe the Bible to be true. I, or I believe some of it is true, but some of it I don't agree with, or I'm confused by. And I don't, I don't want to be a, a fake Christian. I don't want to be showing up to church if, if, I don't, if I don't believe everything that God says. Mm. And, and I thought, well, that's respectful. Like, she wanted to be authentic. Yeah. Um, and, and as a parent who had just became a believer, I wanted you to, like, continue on that journey of faith. And I remember having to surrender that and let you work through that. And that mm. took you several years, yeah. quite a few years. And just trusting that God had you, uh, that was a journey for me as you were going through it. Yeah, so, it really was. Yeah. Gosh, you saying that does remind me of that. I'm still that way, by the way. <laughs> Give me authenticity. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Andy, tell us about yours. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, to kind of, I think, bottle it up in a smaller, like, nutshell without too many journeys off the path here. Uh, I think my, I mean, my story has been rather uncharted, you know, to, to be honest. And it's really been, um, I think, being a creative, like, kind of growing up in the church was really the two parallels that were kind of intention. Namely that when I was young, growing up in church, like, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, like, that kind of age group, um, my church was small, wasn't very big, I think maybe 150 people, um, based out of, I think a plant out of like the church of Christ kind of denomination. But that meant in our case, like 
we dressed nice, tried to dress nice going to church, um, didn't have any instruments in worship. It was all vocal and all hymns. Church was long. I mean, we had a sermon for like the Lord's Supper and then a sermon after that. And so um, in addition to worship at the front and on the back, so I mean, we're talking sometimes like two hours, you know, like plus, depending if it was someone who's a bit long and then didn't have like a youth group, really. It was like we'd go to like a class that was for the the kids, but like our youth group could represent kids in, you know, seventh grade through college, you know, so it, it felt almost a little bit like, you know, small town in the South, a little bit like kind of church experience, right? Where it just is like, oh, my school only has 12 people. And, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like it, it felt a little bit like that in some ways. And, you know, the thing that probably kicked off a lot of like my tensions with this establishment I was calling the church is like, um, I was having a profound relationship with Jesus. I mean, like I accepted Jesus, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized um, at a camp. So it was all, it was very much my, it felt to this day, and I was 13, feel felt like my decision. Like I wasn't at home where my parents were involved or other people were involved. It was like another, actually like kind of the outcast of the camp, literally like redheaded, freckled kid with glasses, you know, was the one who actually said like, yeah, like you can follow Jesus and this is what it looks like. And I was like, wow. And then my decision to be baptized, it was the next morning and it was just me and my other friend that was there and it was small. You know, we talked about that in one of your devotionals, like these very small things that create these big moments. Um, and so I've, I've always at least like found comfort in that. I really feel like I owned that decision. So as I kind of went through high school and then like towards my young adult years, like, um, the, the thing that really kind of set everything off path was really that one of my, at the time, one of my best friends, um, was one of the pastor's kids and I love him. I love him to death to this day. He's a very, very interesting person. Um, but at the time it's like everyone in the church idolized, you know, this kid because he looked like what the Christian kid is supposed to look like. He led worship. He was like, very who intelligent. Who came up with that criteria? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. He read this. He read the scriptures in front of everybody. I mean, it just it was like, oh man, like that's what you know. That's what you're supposed to look like. However, though, at school with him or on field trips with him because we we were in band and so like we would get on a bus and go places, and he was kind of a tyrant. You know, and it was just like, for me, it felt like uh, I was eventually in a band with him. And then we had a huge falling out and like, we almost got in a fight. And it, it just, it suddenly felt like this persona of what the Christian is supposed to be is all kind of encapsulated in this person. And I, I'm like, to me, that's not it. Like, and so it felt like this whole institution was, you know, kind of propping up this person for what a kid is supposed to look up to or aspire to be like. And I, I didn't see it. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's it. And it's, and I started to have problems with how, I think just how you would see flocks of people just like conform, you know, to these small ideas that kind of just suddenly, you know, pushed other people out that didn't have space like that. So the creativity thing partner, partner with that was that I was going to a church that didn't celebrate creativity. You know, it's like for me as someone who was like artistic and musical and all that kind of thing, it's like there, if church was this place for community and this homeness that I was supposed to feel, it, that place didn't offer me those outlets. You know, it's like I couldn't, my skills and interests didn't have a home, you know, in the church, right? Now we know this day and age, like, you know, there's tons of churches that do all kinds of things. And so, but if you're a kid, you don't know this stuff exists. Um, so, 
you know, I I so through that, like went on and had a, a career in music and largely before I ever kind of started going back to church uh, in my early 20s, um, a lot of it too was meeting so many people like around the world and touring that were not Christians. And these are kind and incredible loving people. And I have this picture of this kid in my mind of what the, the Christian is supposed to look like. And I'm just like, there's so many amazing people out in the world that to me are representing a better version of love than like this version is over here. And I have a hard time believing that God doesn't love this person or that this person couldn't find or have a relationship with Jesus and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I kind of blamed the institution for a long time. I'm just like, I just don't like know if I want to be a part of a system that doesn't allow people like that to play a role. And these are mostly just like grittier musician type people. A lot of friends that were close friends of mine that I'm just like, yeah, I, I love these people. Like these people, of course, could, should be welcomed into spaces like this. And they just at the time they weren't. Um, it didn't seem like they would have a home there. And so um, ultimately, I, I left my career in music and started going to Rock Harbor. It's a local church, as we know here, and um, started participating in youth leadership there. I was dating a girl, and she was the one who brought me there. It's like, oh, you might like this church, like, because it's a little different. And it was. And, you know, music and creativity was celebrated, you know, there still is. And so that, you know, that really was a big, a big turning point. And at the time, um, Mike Erie, who's been on the show, who's the pastor there, and some other people have had this experience with him too. But this was a time where um, he would often take a moment to apologize, like on behalf of the church to people, you know, and like kind of like say, like, you know, it's, you know, it's not the church's intent to harm people and to do these kinds of things. And, but the interesting thing about that moment for me was that I realized I had to forgive the church for all of its weird ways it was trying to reach me too. And so, I wanted to be in, I mean, all of this happening in, in the short term of a year or so, but it was pretty radical. And um, I kind of quickly chose though that I wanted to be a part of the solution, you know? And so it was like, it meant that do I need to work at a church or do I need to start a ministry or what does that look like? And um, ultimately led me into working in ministry for, you know, I guess over a decade now and, and then here I am now. So, but it's just that, you know, the, the, what we know to be like a lot of like these positive formulas, we kind of have seen the church sort of perpetuate over the past decade and things like I can't map any of that stuff on all of my experiences before I saw all of that. So it's like, I've always kind of had like a red flag meter, like, you know, because to me, I'm like, that's never been my journey. There's never been a simple way to get here. It was really just like, I always just believed in in Jesus. And I always just pursued relationship and tried to talk to him and, you know, tried to ask for guidance. And just, I really more like how any person might have a father or a mother. And it's like, there's no math problem for me to come to you. If, if you're telling me I'm just supposed to come to you and we just kind of make it through life together. And so that's kind of, for me, that's what it's been. And that's mysterious and imperfect and messy and, you know, not always clear. So yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, this is what unites the three of us in this project in that we really are passionate about the fact that the journey of faith is a beautiful mystery. Um, and that, you know, for, for a person who is, say, outside of the faith and, and you know, they, they, they show up at a church and the church preaches the gospel and invites them to say yes, 
it feels like, ha, ah, listen, I'm saying this because this happened to me. I remember saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. And then I thought my life was going to go on this nice path. You know, mm-hmm. the best, the way I can think about it is, you know, when you go bowling and they put those bumpers on the side of the bowl, <laughs> like, yeah. man, this ball's going to roll straight into those pins. It's, now I'm just going to be in this perfect path. I made a mess of my life. It's all going to be good. And I think we go about sometimes our journey of faith that way. We think it's just going to be nice and straight yeah. and either up or at least straight, right? And, you know, why is that? Like, why, why do we, what is, what are the, what's the benefit of having that mindset and what's the danger of having that mindset? Kaylee, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the benefit of it, gosh, maybe that's the harder question to answer. The da- I'll say the danger first. <laughs> <laughs> the danger of it is definitely the idea that then it's an expectation that we're going to be let down by because nothing in life is like linear, you know, healing's not linear, like work isn't linear, school isn't linear. Like we are all over the place, right? We are constantly learning and growing. And as we learn and grow, there are good times and there are bad times. And so if we set an expectation, then we are bound to be disappointed by that expectation. And I think that that happens in faith, you know, like going back to my story, like I set this expectation, okay, I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus, so now I'm not going to experience this suffering. And then I experienced suffering, and it was like, well, why and why do I have to experience this, you know? Um, and so th- I think the longer we go on our journey of faith, the more willing we are um, to truly submit our plan to God, then we can just lay it out and say, okay, this isn't going how I anticipated, and God, you're still in control. I'm not, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's the negative of it trying to think of the positive of um, our plan. I don't know. Is there a positive? I'm sure there is. There is. Yeah. There is. I can Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I personally aspire to the writing by M. Scott Peck as it refers to like the spiritual stages of maturity. So he was, he was a believer. He um, is a psychologist. And so in the eighties or so, yeah, he kind of published his work, but he talks about like four stages, right? And the second stage has to do with uh, forms and, and kind of, uh, and not conforming, but basically form and structure. So like for people who are coming out of like chaotic and crisis situations, structure where it's kind of like okay i need a path that's limited that's kind of just one direction because my whole life has been chaos so yes tell me i need to attend this thing every wednesday night for the next five years and i'll be there because i just need that dependability i need that reliability and that's that so i think yes structures and like offerings that are presenting plans for people are helpful, can be helpful immediately. It's when we grow dependencies on those things that when they start to kind of fall apart and they don't, and they stop working because it's like, it's what you do with those structures um, and how you interact with them that, that create that future. So if your entire like idea of Christianity is bounded to that particular practice and all of a sudden that practice falls apart, often the Christianity falls apart, you know, because it's kind of like, well, I depended on this, I depended on that. And now like, I don't have that anymore. So now I don't know what I believe. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of both the pro and con answer from me is that that's, that's kind of what happens in that stage. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I mean, and sometimes we go back to that even once we've kind of done that. It's like, okay, I just, I need a season where things are just dependable, you know, reliable, um, and, uh, not so mysterious for a little bit, you know, like yeah, that's totally. for some people that's hard. I know that's another question we're going to discuss. That's right. Yeah. Well, and you know, and the thing is God offers, I mean, when you look at even the way Jesus presented himself, right, you believe you have eternal life. There's a, 
There's a come in this way and there's a very specific path we're on, right? And so in scripture, we see God offering a sense of structure and a sense of direction to our journey of faith. And so it's grounded in something biblical. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest, right? It's grounded in something. There's a leader to guide us. And Jesus came into a structure of a rabbi teaching disciples. He was a rabbi. He taught disciples. So you have a leader who helps me. Then he envi- he empowered the, the disciples to then be leaders themselves. Go, make disciples, teach them everything I have taught you. So that structure is biblical. Like you say, it's not that that's the problem. It's when we forget two things. One is that structure is people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ah, Innately flawed. Yeah. It's <laughs> people. Right. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. I mean, it started with Peter, yeah. right? The one who denied Jesus. But also then we, we, with everything, I feel like we do this all the time. We worship the thing versus worshiping the creator of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? absolutely. So we then worship the structure, the church, the leader our life group, or even the life that we have, right? The, mm-hmm. yeah. Whether it's the, the season of joy and we think, this is it. I'm just going to worship this life. And the minute it, it breaks apart, then that breaks apart. Um, or we might even get dependent on like the emotional experience of our journey of faith. And when it feels flat, when all of a sudden mm-hmm. you go into a season of like, I'm not feeling it anymore. I, and, you know, we, we hear, I've heard this, people mm-hmm. say, I just don't feel that connection anymore. It's like, well... This, what was that connection to begin with? So go back to that and just review that. Yeah. Because maybe that gave you a false sense for what the relationship with Jesus looks like. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to go back and evaluate what did we think that was and how does it really fit to the big picture. Mm-hmm. So so I, I see the the structure, like you say, Andy, it's, it's just very much part of the journey of faith. We just get stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the books that I very I, I love that I read in seminary um, talked about the stages of faith as well, and it said it, we tend to get stuck in any of the stages, and including that one, including mm-hmm. the one where we find a leader, we find a structure that's helpful to us, it brings order from the chaos, um, but then we get stuck there, and there's mm-hmm. more to the journey of faith than just that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think being willing to go through that and like ask the questions and that's, I think what's hard, like, cause it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable when uh, something we've known or a structure we've grown used to or depend on, right? or depend on suddenly uh, feels different. Or maybe we experience someone who's in a different journey or in a different space. I think this is where a lot of like uh, we can have a lot of hard times communicating with people walking through slightly different views or different church experiences. If we grow up in only one and then mm-hmm. experience something new, it can throw us into a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and being willing to be uncomfortable in that space and ask the hard questions and um, and find and seek God through that journey. Yeah. So the the other side of this is the mystery of faith, that there is, there is a, a side of the journey of faith that's mysterious. Um, and that has its positives and its negatives. Let's be honest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's so. Which one do you want to hit first, Kaylee? You, you <laughs> maybe make me go second. <laughs> okay, Andy. <laughs> do you want to talk about the positives or the negatives? Um, I mean, I could talk about both. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like we, we could, you know. Um, but hey, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about the negative, negative first. first yeah. You know, I like, like that. you know. Um, sure. Like piggybacking off of what I just already said, like, yeah, like when, if you're in a place of coming out of a place of chaos, not having, 
you know, someone telling me, well, sorry, the, the, you know, Christianity and the faith is just kind of this mysterious thing you're just going to have to deal with. Um, based on where your life is at, that could be a very challenging thing to like wrap your head around. Um, and you might need some structure now for, um, and yeah, and then like not, it's because it, it's like, you don't want to feel like you don't have answers or it feels too complex. You know, it's like, even for like the seasoned Christian, when you come across new ideas, and suddenly you're like, oh, wait, that kind of challenges this other thing that I had. So what does that mean? It's Very like unsettling. Yeah, it, it can be a little bit. It could be unsettling. It's like, but, um, you know, so that's it's just that's the thing. It's like the Bible, you know, it's not it's just not as like this clear cut handbook on how to live life. Right. Let's let's be clear about that. Um, secondly, like you have to read the Bible literarily. Not just literally. Like, that's good. It's historically known. If you read it just literally, it is like the like less educated way to read any text. And probably totally. most confusing because right? you're yeah, going to find conflicting yeah, things. Because yeah. then you'll say there's contradictions because this says this here and this is this here. It's like, yeah, and if you don't have context, then they're going to look like they're opposing ideas. But it's like, again, as you take reading in layers and you go farther down to interpretations and context and lots of other things, you know, all of a sudden you get this much bigger story and this bigger narrative. And that's kind of where a lot of that mystery is. So that's yeah. what's kind of daunting is like, how do I get down to that place where I can say I'm engaged and immersed in this, but then now I'm simultaneously like, yeah, and it's also feels a lot more unknown than it was before. Like we don't like not being certain, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the like that's really the crux of the thing is like we're saying like yes, if we want to accept that God is more mysterious than and the life of like faith is more mysterious than we've led on to believe, then we have to accept that what was certain before is just not as certain, and that's that's really hard for people to do. Like we we live in a time where um, we really really want to be certain about things that are right now and or the next year or five years or ten years. And um, that's that's an impossible an impossible task. Well, and in, in reality, opinion. it's not just impossible within like the structure of faith, which it is, but it's impossible in life. Like if we, I think sometimes we put um, we put things into a box, you know. And so we like even if you're looking at like, gosh, you know, evolution versus creation, it's like evolution is just as much of a theory, you know. But yet it feels like more sturdy somehow. And so people put it under like, it has to be this way. And so now I have, I have understanding behind it and now I can study it. And now I, you know, can put it into this box and we can't put God into a box. Like even the concept of the Trinity is complex mm -hmm. and not un fully comprehensible by our own human standards. And so there is a bit to it, which we have to be willing to just say, yeah, it's really complex. And I actually don't fully understand but I trust, right? It comes down to trust. I trust I God above all. The thing I want to make sure we make clear is there are certain things that are that we can't stand on as foundational and truth, right? Our mm -hmm. salvation, for example. When we're talking about the mystery, we're talking about the journey of faith, yeah, right? The destination of faith is solid. That's yeah. very clear in Scripture. We're not saying that's a mystery. Yeah. It, well. We can say it's a mystery in the sense of like, wow, God is so incredible that he does this. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, right? Like, or, or how, does, how does God do it? How does this sovereignty and our free will connect with yeah. one another? That's a huge, huge mystery. But, but salvation and eternal existence with God that is super clear in Scripture. There are things in clear that are, 
are solid, certain, and clear. Mm -hmm. yeah. How exactly that happened? There's some minor, you know, there's interpretation of atonements. There's, yeah. right, there's a lot of different theories that are a little bit more mysterious. But here we're talking about the journey of faith itself, the, mm -hmm. the lived out faith and how that looks for individually for each one of us is a great mystery. And what's really cool about that, to me, if we shift now to the positive, is that it means every single one of us can have confidence that our journey of faith is legitimate because it's our journey of faith. Yeah. In other words, we don't, we don't have to compare Mm -hmm. to someone else and go, well, hers looks this way, like you were comparing yours to this other kid, right, mm -hmm. Andy? And it was like, well, it's supposed to look like that. Mine doesn't feel like that, mm -hmm. or I definitely don't want to look like his. And your fear is that all of a sudden, if you don't look like him, then you don't have faith. If you don't look like that Christian, then you're not a Christian. Or the other way around. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to be like that, so then I can't be a Christian. So, so I think just the, the realization that the beauty of accepting mystery of faith is the adventure that God goes with us yeah. and builds a very unique story of that journey of faith for each and every one of us. And that we get to discover that. We get to hear each other's stories and celebrate, like, here's how I saw God work in my life, how, how my journey took all these left turns and right turns and backwards and all that. Um, and I think that's the positive. It's, to me, it's more adventurous far more interesting, infinite. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like cookie cutter, boring. It looks the same for every person. Yeah. Richer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so, I, what do you guys think of the positives? Um, yeah. Like it's, uh, you know, the positive thing about not being certain is that you don't hold the responsibility of that certainty, you know, over somebody, you know, it's like, that's where we, I think we make claims on what we're certain on when we're not actually certain on those things. So like, I think what's nice is that we're certain that Jesus says, or uh, you're going to have to remind me, like, where, where, where is the scripture on, you know, uh, nothing could separate you from the love of uh, God? Oh, yeah, Romans 8. Right. Yes, so, yes. okay, so we got Paul saying this, yes. right? So it's kind of like, that sounds like a wonderfully certain statement. And it's like, it's talking about, like, you know, he's talking from the experience of God doing something that is de declared over his life. So he's able to share that with us, right? I'm like... That's I'm okay with being certain about that. It does seem clear that nothing could separate you from that. And it's like when you know that, and if the thing is, like, I feel like that was said by someone else. How do I say this? I can feel as sure in that kind of certainty because it's what God is saying about what he wants for people. Mm -hmm. It's different for me to say, well, God is going to do this 100%. Like as a human, me saying yeah. it does not, I don't feel the confidence in that because I can't conjure God into anything. Yeah, okay. True. So, but when I'm looking at like my own faith journey, it's like, again, the formulas didn't work. They still don't really work. Like the, the straight linear path idea that if you just hold on to these like handful of things and hold them real tight and develop them really well, then you're going to have a saved life or whatever that narrative is also just isn't very fitting but it's like we've kind of talked about this too it's like there's this it's it's like faith kind of becomes more of this spectrum where we find ourselves in position of like what does my faith look like and i don't have to like map myself perfectly in one space or not like yeah i'm, I'm finding that there's a lot of joy and love in spending time with my family maybe i'm not going to church every sunday maybe i'm not reading my bible every like day of the week but what am I doing? I'm learning new ways to express love to others, you know, and, and putting myself in different places where I can practice that. Because I love God, I want to love people. I mean, when I love people, I feel God's love, yeah. you know. And so it's like there's this cyclical, like relational way that um, 
it's, you know, God actually reveals himself and shows himself. And that's mysterious. And I can't always like make that happen. But what I do find in practice is that when I'm open to actually putting my body in position, doing these things, you know, stuff happens and it's beautiful when it does. And I think it's like, there's a freedom in that. And I think that's where it's like letting go of like trying to say all the right things, do all the right things at all the right time. Um, it helps us get away from like the old law of thinking that A plus B equals C. And if I abide this way, this is the right way to do it. It's a right and wrong conversation. And Jesus is constantly dispelling what you thought is right is actually not right. And this is what it's always been like, but yet we've restricted access to this, but now we don't have to anymore because I'm with you. So it's like that thing. It's like when we, when we do step into like that mysterious kind of aboundment of who God is and recognize He's in everything, you know, we're in him in this wonderful way. And when we do like let those connections happen and like intentionally kind of like walk into them and allow for more to happen than less, um, that mystery is really fun. And like, I like the Bible more than I ever did because um, I didn't like, I had to let these rules about the Bible kind of fall to the wayside, you know, a little bit. Understanding like, oh, this is also literature, um, no piece of literature is perfect. Um, I believe that these people are inspired by God. I believe I believe what's written here is actually for not only the people of its time, but then has benefit for us as well. Um, I also believe that the way that God is represented in some of these ways isn't accurate about how God is represented later in the Bible. So I also look at it as, as an inhuman kind of experience of like, hey, look at how God was misrepresented and we learn from that, you know? So it's like, that's why that was a big thing for me was like trying to assimilate, you know, the God of war and anger in the old Testament and say, well, God was just like that and poured out all his wrath on Jesus. And I'm like, I don't, I don't buy that. That's that. And that's my own like opinion of atonement of like, I don't see how we, we would accept that at some point in time, a father put that on his son and we're supposed to accept and love that when we're also sons and daughters of fathers, you know, but it's just kind of like, or there's something to learn here about how God was being represented by humans. And rather Jesus is the full representation of what God is like. And that is beautiful. And that isn't, that isn't a conflicting picture of God. And so it's like, that's so when we have new covenant and new law in that, it's like, yes, I see that. I believe that. And I can understand the throughput of how we got there. So, but I had to let go of like trying to assimilate all these different points about the Bible in order to make it work. And when I did that, I actually fell in love with God. You mm. see, so it's just like there's it, there's a great freedom in like in that kind of mystery. So. I love that. You know, when you were saying this, I was picturing a race. And when you're in a, a race for the finish line, let's say Jesus is the finish line, and you've got people racing for this Christ-like life, right, in the finish line, then we're comparing ourselves to the other runners. Like, Mm -hmm. are they ahead of me? Mm -hmm. Are they behind me? You know, I mean, so we're always going like, what's your journey like? You know, oh man, I like the shoes you're wearing, you know, or how you're doing it, right? Versus if we're on this walk with Jesus, and because God is God, only he can do this, right? Well, he's walking with you, he's walking with Kaylee, he's walking with me, and we're all going towards that Christ-likeness there's no comparison anymore because the experience is in the moment, in the here and the now with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we all get to run. We all get. That's to the run. thing. It's like no. It's like the thing is, we all get to we run. All, yes, you know? and every yeah. run is different. Like, yeah. like, yeah. like right. using that yeah, very perfect runners, metaphor. So- yeah, I was gonna say using that very perfect metaphor. Like two runners can train the same and go out for a race and have two totally different races because it really like 
it just depends on the environment, how your body is, and each body is unique, and like what you ate before, and, and what weather. you drank before, and the weather, and your mentality, and like there's so many aspects. And so if we bring that to the journey of faith, like we are all coming into our journey of faith with our own unique experience, background, childhood, upbringing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we're going to have different experiences, and there there is a mystery to that, you know. Um, I think it's that's beautiful. It's it being able to walk that out and not hold expectation for it. You know, not to say, okay, because I A plus B equals C. Because I did this, this is going to happen. Instead, it's just, hey, this is where I'm at right now. You know, and this is who knows what God is going to do for me in the future. Who knows how I'm going to encounter Him in the future? And then each encounter then is so exciting. Right. And so refreshing right. because it's like, whoa, I didn't expect you to show up like that. Thanks, God. You know, yes. that was cool. So, yeah, I think that Or, makes or when you're going through a hard time, this is something I do now as I've been reflecting on this more and more, is that if I'm going through a hard time, I'm thinking, okay, God, what is this going to look like now? Like, because I, I'm, I'm thinking of this presence of God with me in the situation and we're getting to discover it together like okay what are you going to teach me through this or what is this going to look like as we get through it all right we're on this journey now you know this is where we're at on this part of the race yeah and it it's going to look different and and this is important because we might go through similar experiences as someone else but we'll experience it totally differently we might even experience God totally different Mm -hmm. um just like you're saying the bible right how we might go to the bible and we might experience God differently. So, for example, for me, when I read the, the God of the Old Testament, I consider myself an Old Testament Christian. Mm. So I became a believer reading Deuteronomy. That's where I accepted Jesus. And so I here's the God giving the law, the God of judgment, the God of war, and that's the God where I felt his grace. The irony of that. I see his mercy his a mercy lot in his the grace, Old Testament. Right? And so, yeah. so it's like, that's how I experienced the Old Testament. A, a God who does war against evil. Yeah. And that means he does war against the evil that's in me and in the world. And I, I want to trust that God. Yeah. So, because that's, I needed that at the time when I was reading the Bible for the first time. My heart was aching for brokenness that I was experiencing in my life. And like you say, the chaos that was happening in my life. And I needed a God that can break through that chaos. Mm -hmm. I needed a big God that would do big, audacious things. I love that God knows each of us. And like he created each of us, right? So that's what it says in the word. Um, and that he He knows his sons and daughters. So he knows how we need to be encountered too. Yeah, you yeah. know, so he he knew you needed to be encountered in the way you were encountered. He knew mm-hmm. you needed to be encountered the way you were encountered. I think it's even interesting because you mentioned earlier in your story about how um, you had these friends and you were like, well, why wouldn't God love them? Yeah, yeah. But then you re- later mentioned Romans, which says that like nothing we do can separate us from the love of God. Mm-hmm. But, like how common of a misconception as we walk through our journey of faith to think if I'm broken too broken, if I do the wrong thing, if I make too big of a sin, if I make too big of a mistake, then I am unloved by God mm-hmm. or they are unloved by God. And in reality, mm-hmm. like love and still his righteousness, like those coexist, you know, and are so beautiful that he loves us no matter what, like yeah. loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us, loves us, you know? Um, and so, yeah. So I, I, and I love that like God just weaves in and out of our stories as we need to be met. That is a mystery that is beautiful. Yeah. And you know, when you, when it comes to that, I, I, I'm thinking also like a parent, um, actually all three of us are parents, so we can all kind of talk from mm-hmm. this. And that is, 
um, our children have a sense that we love them, mm-hmm. right? But if they do something wrong, they'll kind of separate from us a little, right? You know, they broke the thing yeah. and they'll be playing in another room. So hopefully we will notice that they broke the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, that doesn't mean they lose sight of the fact that we love them. Um, but they might be afraid to engage in relationship with us for mm-hmm. what those consequences might be. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we separate from God, right? Not, you know, maybe because something we did or the way we're thinking or whatever. Um, but God doesn't. Um, and so in, in that wall of like, I'm not hearing God anymore, or I, I just spoke to someone uh, last week who was telling me how she felt God was displeased with her. Those were the words she used. Mm-hmm. I feel like God's displeased with me because I made a decision that I think he would not want me to make. Yeah. And so that was, that put her on the wall. And all of a sudden she felt like her relationship with God just stopped. Um, and I kind of had to remind her of like, well, you're a parent, like, if if your child did something that displeased you, does that stop you from loving them? You know? You know what's so interesting? In child psychology, they actually do think that you don't love them. Mm. And I, I think that probably stems from just human interaction, human love, human comprehension of um, continuity of, like, emotional attachment and stuff like that. That's something that's learned. But that is the difference between human relationships and God relationship. Like God, there's nothing we can do that's going to separate God from us. But we often put human context around what God is capable of, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like that same thing around like God's love, like we put our human understanding of like, well, if I, if I do something bad enough, this person's going to stop loving me. And so like, if I do something bad enough, like God's going to stop loving me, yeah. you know, we as parents know, no, nothing, nothing you do is going to make me stop loving you. I may be frustrated, but I'm always going to love you. But our children don't necessarily know that, especially at a young age. Yeah. Well, but the, the interesting thing to that very point, it's interesting as adults, yeah. we can have thoughts like, oh God, God doesn't love me anymore. Yeah. You see, so it's kind of like it's it's obviously this deeper maternal paternal yeah. you know type of thing where it's like when we are the child of something we're still held that we believe that we could do something in order to in order Lose. to stop that from happening, right? Absolutely. So it's it's um it's there's something there's something to that. So it's kind of like there's this brain development but then there's also this kind of like spiritual, you know, development that's yeah. that's kind of a communal type of thing of how we relate to what is transcendent and what's real and right yeah. in front of us. Right. So it's, uh, it's no, it's no surprise. Like, you know, the, the, the girl that you shared that, that has those feelings. Like, I feel like there's, they're displeased. Cause those are, cause those are like the structures that we've kind of inherited, you know, that mm. we've been given to like relate with God is usually just through that family context. And that's very complicated because people, some people have a very bad family experience and then some people have a very good one. And then that's also a limited view of God. So even when you have the best parents and like they give you everything and do this and that, it doesn't mean that that is also what God is exactly like. That's either. True. You know, so it's like, it's just our own, you know, familial kind of experiences. Isn't, isn't actually completely how God plays out, you know, because then how do we how do we then begin a dialogue about about single people who won't have kids or like had, didn't even have parents? That's maybe true. maybe their parents died at a very young age and didn't really have like real life paternal experiences. And so, um, you know, it's just the whole story has to be bigger, That's true. you know, and so there has to be more to discuss when we when we look at that, like the entire conversation about relationship with God as an entire thing is a thing, right? Yes, I mean, yes. it's just when we talk about relatability, like yeah. relatability to God. I'm relating with God. Like that's what relationship is. Like in a marriage or whatever, or in a, in a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or boy, boy, whatever. It's like 
I am finding ways to share with you, like whether it's experiences or life things or whatever. And in doing so, they become reflective towards each other and it builds as one, as a singular experience. Right, right. So it's like, that's what the relationship with God is. Eventually, what you're doing with God and yourself begins to have this singular type of experience, not this like God's here and I'm here. It somehow becomes this, again, this oneness that... You yes. know, that we learn. The scripture you know, is that, calling that, us to that scripture is calling us to, yes. you know. So it's very active, it's very intentional, it's also ethereal. I mean, it you build relationships in the silence with partners and friends, right? Even just sitting in a room and not saying anything. And there's a comfort, right? Like right. when we're in intimate relationships of any kind, whether it's a really close friendship, a familial, a like marriage. We can sit in silence with another person and be comfortable. Like it, it, we don't have to fill the space. If it's a stranger, you feel like you have to fill the space. Let's talk all the time. Like <laughs> I can, I'm going to sit in a car with a stranger for six hours. I'm going to fill all the space. Yes. So it's kind of um, incredible that how often do we do that with our relationship with the Lord, right? That like when we're actually in relationship with God and we're praying, especially like as we walk through that, we're like, we have to fill the space of all that prayer, all that time. And in reality, like the more in tune we get with the Lord, we can just be silent in that and just sit with him, mm -hmm. you know, and that builds that intimacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's hard and that's mysterious. And just, yeah. you know, allowing and making space for that. Exactly. It's like we're, we are always, um, it is so easy for us to try to fill the space because that kind of provides certainty. It provides methodology. It provides, you know, tangibility to like what my relationship is in like. Yeah. You know, other than it's just kind of like the very fact that you can even sit and seek the presence of God in silence, even in that kind of practice, is a beautiful privilege and freedom that any human being could possibly have, yeah. you know, whatever that yeah. looks like. Yeah, and so when we embrace the mystery, the journey of faith as a beautiful a complex mystery, we're going to have these moments where it's going to feel very different, uncomfortable, maybe, you know, no different if we went to a silent retreat, you know, there's just sometimes mm -hmm. in that journey, it's going to feel like that, but, but we discover so much more. So I want to end this with, um, in the book, The Critical Journey, Stages of Life of Faith, it's a book that, I mean, this is foundational to how this ministry kind of came into my heart. The authors, uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick, uh, talk about once you get past the wall, per se, uh, on the other side of the wall is a more beautiful faith, and that faith is less self-absorbed, mm. is less self-centric. It's more surrendered and less control, and oftentimes it even says that people that are on that side of their faith, they're just less worried about the details. There, there is like a looseness to the way that they live their faith. And sometimes it's even hard to see, to point at they're doing this and that's their faith. Like, you know, you can say a person who goes to church every Sunday, oh, that's a religious person, right? You can give it a title, but a person who's like having this deeper relationship with God, maybe a little harder to point to, and they talk about that. And so, you know, then, then that becomes their journey until there's a crisis and they need order again. And, you know, they kind of fall, because we do this, right? Mm -hmm. we, yeah. we think, okay, we're good. We're into that mystery. And then something happens and then we're seeking order again or we're seeking structure again. And so just to know and to note that there's something beautiful on the other side of the wall, but that doesn't mean we won't hit a wall again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I want to finish with that. Just like you did, Kaylee, right? Mm -hmm. You hit two walls. Yeah. When we were talking to Carrie Garcia, she actually said to me, I think I hit at least seven walls on my yeah. journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, and it's true. Like each wall brought me to a new place mm -hmm. that I was never before. Like I sometimes I, I catch myself saying incorrectly, but I catch myself saying like, 
I've never experienced the Holy Spirit or the presence of God like I do now. And I probably did, you know, I did before, but it's just there was, there's more understanding, there's more awe and reverence on the other side of the wall. But that doesn't mean that something hard isn't going to happen again that's mm-hmm. going to cause me to get another wall. And it's beautiful to know that on the other side will be more awe and reverence and more, you know, surrender experience and surrender. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And to just to remember that, um, it, it's okay that sometimes we go back to those structures when we feel when we feel a little bit, like you said, in the chaos mode or when life throws something at us is so big that we kind of need some foundational things to sit on for a while. Um, again, the, the whole point of this book, it says, don't get stuck on any, any, any stage. Um, and that in itself is the beautiful mystery of the journey of faith, that we can be in all those stages. They're all useful. They're all helpful. None of them are the landing place. So we want to finish on that. Folks, if you have not checked out that book, it's a bit meaty. So you got to be one of those thinkers if you want to, if you're interested in that. I'm, I'm hoping that next year, 2022, that I'll be able to launch the Uncharted book. That's what I'm working towards, uh, trying to take these things and, and put them in a book that's a little bit easier to read um, because, because what they have to say is powerful. Um, it's just sometimes hard to digest because it's pretty technical, but... Yeah. We'll anyway. put it in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Kaylee, for joining yeah. and Andy for this conversation. This is wonderful. Obviously, we can talk a lot more about it, and we will, because obviously we're on this journey together. Um, folks, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Thanks again for joining the Uncharted Podcast. Thank you for listening to Uncharted Podcast with Inez Franklin. Learn more about Inez at unchartedpod.com. Follow Inez's journey on Instagram at Inez Franklin. Sign up for our email list to receive direct access to online experiences and more. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.